I knew I was not going to be able to make it out of Mexico without seeing another scorpion. <laughs> I woke up this morning, had a lovely morning, did some yoga, did some meditating, did some journaling, had my coffee, came into the bedroom to sit down and start recording this podcast. And lo and behold, I take a lovely little glance out into our back yard area where there's a private little bathing tub that Phil and I like to hang out in when we come home from the beach and whatever. We've left water in it because it's so big. I just glance out there because I was actually considering getting in it later today and I glance and what do I see but a fucking scorpion just hanging out in the water at the bottom of the tub. So, of course, you know, what else do you do when you see a scorpion? I grabbed my phone and I videoed it through the door because, like hell, I'm going out there. Videoed it and sent it to Phil and he responds and he goes, is it dead? And I was like, fuck, I know. I'm not going out there to check. Like, what do you think? I'm going to go play underwater tag with the damn thing? I know he's my mascot. Like, I know I'm a Scorpio, and that is my mascot sitting in the bottom of my tub right now, but me and my mascot do not get along. Done. I'm done. That's good. I'm good. We've been in this Airbnb for a month. I have not seen a scorpion here until today. Thank God he is outside, not inside, and we're not going to talk about him anymore. This is the animal or that we do not speak of, I was going to say, or... It's not a bug, but what is a score? What is the classification of a scorpion? For fuck's sake, I don't even care. This is the thing that we do not speak of anymore. So if I refer to the thing that we do not speak of anymore, you know what the hell I'm talking about. Anyway, we do leave on Sunday. So this is our last week here. I feel like time has flown by. Like we've been in Mexico for two months in a little and change to about that. I mean, what a what an amazing experience, life-changing experience. Uh but I I will say, I think it's a sufficient amount of time. I think, you know, we've soaked everything up to its fullest extent. We're still doing that this week right up until Saturday and then we're gone on Sunday. So, you know, we've really kind of like immersed ourselves here, enjoyed ourselves here. We've really grown here as individuals and as a couple. It's been really quite incredible to live and witness and and see and we'll be back for sure. This will probably happen again in the future and I think we're both ready to go back home though and get a little more settled. I mean we've still got a whole journey once we get home because we're not in our home home yet like we're gonna be in another airbnb once we arrive back for about three weeks um while we look for our new home together i mean if you've been around and you've listened for quite some time we have lived together but it was you know him moving into my apartment and therefore this is both our first times 
to actually go look at places to live together because neither of us have done this in all of our years on the face of the earth. So it's exciting. It's a first for for both of us. We've got quite a journey ahead, which is really exciting. And I can't wait to share it with you. But those are, you know, those are the updates. We did hit up this really cool place in Tulum um, this past weekend. It I cannot pronounce it. I've been tagging it on my at Amy Fiedler says Instagram where I post my personal photos. So you could see the tag on where it's located in Tulum, what it is. But in English, they call it the Blue Lagoon. And it's the gorgeous photos of that bright blue water with like a, a big like dock kind of with people hanging out on it. And so you pay and you go there um, and you basically just like hang out in the water all day. They've got some beverages, like you can get like real coconuts, drink them. You can get other stuff there. People bring snacks and they hang out and they eat and they read and whatever, sunbathe. They've got swings in the water um, to photograph yourself on. Very Instagram worthy environment. I'm sure you've probably seen popular photos of people on these swings. That's more than like, I mean, there's lots of swings all over Tulum, but that's, that's a popular spot to get like a good Instagram shot if you, if you need one. Um, so I got a few, if you check them out on my at Amy Fiedler says account, I've got plenty more coming. Don't worry. Phil is on his photography game when it comes to good shots. So he is kicking ass and taking names over there. Um, it's a beautiful, crystal clear blue water with those little fishies that like nibble the the skin off your feet, which like I just saw the little fishies and then Phil was like, do you feel them like nibbling at your feet? And I was like, no, actually, I feel nothing. And then it kind of like I don't know. When somebody tells you, do you feel the thing nibbling at your feet? Now you're hyper alert. <laughs> so I went from being like, oh, how sweet little fishies to being like, are they going to get like, because I wear a thong bikini out here. And I'm like, what if they crawl inside of me? And, <laughs> and this turned into a whole conversation between Phil and I. Like, this is truly what what he loves about me the most is that I just keep him on his toes amused and entertained 24 7 he has no idea what is going to come out of my mouth what thought process is behind it and why the fuck did I think of, of saying it at that point in time uh that is what occurs 24 7 like bless his heart that he's entertained by this because I knew whoever ended up with me was going to be in for a lifetime of entertainment because that is all I do for myself 24 7 as we know from listening to this podcast so yeah I started a whole thing about what if it crawls up my cooch what is going to happen then like that's not going to be good and so on and so forth. And then I was concerned it was going to crawl in my ass. Like it was a whole thing. It did get me genuinely concerned. And then I relaxed a little and I was fine. So, you know, I figure if no one was screaming that a tiny fishy crawled up their coochie out loud, then I was pretty safe. And there were like kids there. And that's my go-to, mind you. That's been my motto in, since getting to Mexico is that if the dogs can do it and the kids can do it, I can do it. 
That is my lifetime motto from here on out. It actually, like, I used it in Mexico, but it started way, 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 way back when Phil and I first got together. We would go on hikes throughout the fall, and we went on, he wanted to take me on a really difficult hike. And so I'm climbing up this mountain, and I am somebody who's always up for a challenge, and physically, I, I know I'm capable. I'm much more capable sometimes than people actually think by looking at me. So, and that's kind of what happened. Like he knew I'd be able to do it, otherwise he wouldn't have taken me to do it. But he wasn't sure like how well I'd do it, right? Because he's never seen me in that environment. And he didn't know that silently in my head, the only thing getting me through a lot of the moments that were a little scary on that mountain was seeing that if a dog could do it or a kid could do it, I could do it. And that is now my go-to like mantra in my head. Well, there's dogs here and they're surviving. Well, there's kids here and they're surviving. I'm fine. I mean, Mexico is full of like, just like stray dogs. And y'all know how I was with Dewey, like leashed up at my hip or on my lap 24 seven. Like that dog did not stray away from me. And I'm usually the person who's like, oh no, an animal, are you cared for? And I would like wanna harbor all of them. Uh, not post Dewey, I, I don't want another dog, uh, but but I see all of these animals and there's a jet, like genuinely, I love them. And I, you know, I see them and I'm like, oh, but I'm not concerned because I'm, I'm like, this is their life. Like they know how to survive. Like these are street dogs. These street dogs know, like they literally just walk in front of traffic and traffic stops for them. They don't give a fuck. They are just like, I'm crossing the street now. I'm not paying attention to you. Like you are in my domain and they just walk across the street and around here, Everybody just stops for those animals and they just, you know, they got the life. So yeah, that's my, uh, that's my mantra. That's my mantra. You can have that one. I'll share it with you, but just remember who said it first. Anyway, let's move into the episode, shall we? Uh, today's episode is going to be all about self-control and what a wonderfully relevant topic to speak of. If you follow me on Instagram, you know, if you know, you know, what is that little if? I, K, Y, K, right? I, you got it. If you know, you know. <laughs> what an awkward pause to put into your podcast, Amy. I know, you're such a fucking weirdo. Uh, I think this is an important topic to discuss. Um, not just relevant, obviously, for me or, or others who are on social media, but I think it's, something that we can kind of dig into a little bit more, like how to have self-control. Like what you got, what do you got to tweak inside of you to get to a place where you're not reactive, but rather responsive to situations that can be triggering or are threatening or attacking or punishing or belittling. How do you manage your emotions in the moment, in real time to not just lash out at other people? And why, on the flip side, do people lash out at other people? What is underneath that? Where is it coming from? What's the driving force behind it? What are they lacking or not open to learning that creates that type of behavior? And 
you know, I, I think just why, you know, I think we'll end with the why do I pride myself on embodying an example of maturity and self-control, especially on social media. I remember when I was just getting started and really trying to build a community and a following there, I would watch how mainly like like celebrities, I wouldn't say so much influencers. I mean, I feel like they're now kind of, you know, they they, they can cross and, and be one in the same, but it was mainly like big name celebrities or B-list celebrities, <laughs> sometimes D-list celebrities, whatever. I'd, I'd look at them, musicians, whoever, comedians, and I'd wonder, why do you clap back? Like, it just was a put off for me. I'd watch them from afar. I was a fan of their work. I enjoyed following their content online. And then I'd see them get a hateful remark. And I'd, say, I'd see them stoop to the same level and say something hateful back. And I thought to myself, like, like I, I used to be that person. Not sounding like I'm 20 steps ahead of them, but I, I was an angry person as a child and a teenager. I clapped back and I'm fucking witty. I, my words made people cry. Like I, I know my power there, but it's not power. It's, it's not power. It's insecurity. It's immaturity. And so I'd watch this and I, and I would, I would be put off by it, but I didn't really have the words for it at the time. And now I have more words for it. I find it, I find it interesting when people say to not address those people. I think it comes from a well-intentioned place. But I also think that unless you've been through trauma or abuse, you might not understand the nuance there and how that can be received. Because a lot of abuse survivors protected their abusers. I was one of them. We tend to make excuses for, defend. We, we tend to take on the excuses that we're told for why someone is mistreating us or hurting us or harming us or disrespecting us and then make that our truth about the situation and that is what then we tell ourselves and other people. Or we keep secrets for them. I don't know about you, but I did that a lot growing up, you know? Like, don't you dare tell anybody what goes on in this house or else you'll be taken from us was like, you know, one of many threats that was was used or alluded to that controlled me into silencing my pain and not sharing honestly about what was going on in the house or how I was feeling about it. And mind you, like, again, I'm, I'm not comparing abuse because you never should, but on, a, on, a, on the scheme of things, what I experienced, I've listened to and supported people through much worse. I have. So with that said, if you think and consider how bad it could get for somebody in an abusive situation, and you think about how they feel like they have to be silent because they're being threatened and they can't share. That's that nuance there to that messaging of like, just ignore the haters. Like, 
an abuse survivor or a trauma survivor takes themselves back to those environments where they were being abused or traumatized and they think, yeah, I ignored it and I kept getting hit. I kept getting shamed. I kept getting whatever, fill in the blank, right? Yeah, I tried to ignore it because I didn't have another option at that time. So not that you are responsible for how someone filters information because you're not. You have no ability to know what's going on inside of them to be able to adjust what you're saying to speak to exactly how they filter things. That's that's that whole saying of like, you're not responsible for how someone feels. I'm not, but I am responsible for how I, like my intention behind what I'm saying and being able to back it up if asked a question about it. I am responsible for that. So, you know, understanding that, understanding those nuances, let's dig in. There can be so many different reasons behind why somebody reacts and attacks another person. So many different scenarios. The context, the nuances are endless. But at the root of the majority of them is a lack of coping skills, okay, which includes, but is not limited to, being able to regulate your emotions, being able to self-soothe, being able to speak from an intentional, responsive place. And the other is a need to be seen, heard, and validated. All of which grouped into the coping mechanism category mean that you don't know how to provide that to yourself or to communicate and articulate it in a way where you inform another person that that is what you're needing. Instead, you react. And there's no self-control because there's no ability to take that pause. There's no ability to hit that pause, take a space, take a breath, and not be projecting your pain onto another person. And, you know, I don't have a percentage, but a lot of people lack self-control. They just react. They act from mindless places. And now that you have a, a generalized idea of like where that can be stemming from, I mean, at the end of the day, it really doesn't make a difference because it's just not all right. It's disrespectful. It's borderline abusive in many different situations. It's immature and it's unsupportive. Now, a really great example of this to shine a light on would be when you see somebody kind of like lash out on social media. And I'm not speaking just to the instances that it happens to me, but it happens to me and billions of other people, right? It doesn't just happen to business owners. It doesn't just happen to influencers or celebrities. It happens to everyday folks. It happens to you with your former high school friends or the random 65-year-old woman on Facebook who doesn't quite understand Facebook, right? Like it happens across the board in many different scenarios. And the thing is about it is that it's very easy in those moments where somebody is reacting and attacking you to feel like you need to attack back. So let's talk about that. 
Why do we feel we need to attack back? Because we feel like we need to protect and defend ourselves or protect and defend our point. Why? Because somebody is debating it. Somebody is arguing it. Somebody is invalidating it. Somebody is bringing it into question or bringing you and your character and your morals and values into question. And so you feel a a burning desire inside of you when you interact with someone whose values do not align with yours to protect, rightfully so. That's a valid response to that type of scenario. But is it protection to attack back? No, that's not protecting anybody. That's matching the energy coming at you, which I know there's people out there that are like, well, yeah, you mean, bitch, that's what I do. And I'd be like, okay, you do you. I don't find matching negative, reactive, immature energy coming at me to be productive. And here's why. Because I respect myself too much. And I know there's a few of you that are now disgruntled and maybe slightly offended by that statement, but I need you to hear me out. Because it's not okay to just go around quipping off anger or clapbacks at other people who can't control themselves and do it to you. You feel powerful. You feel powerful. But that's a misuse of your power. Because it's really not power. It's confused power. It's immaturity, which is insecurity. I hope that makes sense to you. We feel powerful when we leverage anger or we leverage defense or we leverage name-calling and shaming and judgment at other people. We feel powerful in those moments because why? I'll give you a minute. Think about it. Because we successfully found an outlet for our rage. So we feel accomplished. Because you didn't know what to do with that rage. You didn't know how to transmute. That's a, that's a good word to use here. A tr- you didn't know how to transmute your rage. You didn't know what to do with it. You didn't know how to self-soothe it. You didn't know how to move through it. So what you did was you found the easy way out. Not the productive route. You found the easy way out and you tossed it out at someone else in hopes they'd catch it. Now, OG listeners and clients, y'all are going to get a little rowdy when I use this reference. Do you remember my hot potato theory? Yeah, I know. A lot of you do. Okay, this is like, this is real OG. You're real OG if you know the hot potato theory. So the hot potato theory goes a little something like this, and I've definitely touched on it in previous uh, podcast episodes, but I'm going to explain it again because it's, it's relevant here. The hot potato theory is... I have an emotion that I'm uncomfortable with, and we're going to liken it to holding a hot potato, okay? I don't know if you've ever played hot potato as a child, but nobody wants to hold the hot potato. You toss it to another person, and then they kind of juggle it because it's hot, and then they toss it back, okay? So the hot potato theory goes like something like this. I have an uncomfortable emotion. That's my hot potato. I don't want to hold that emotion, That's uncomfortable, and I don't know what the fuck to do with it. I have no oven mitts. I have no idea how to get rid of the heat. 
it's uncomfortable. And so I think the easiest way to handle this uncomfortable emotion is to toss it to the person in front of me who stirred it up to begin with. They're the one who wanted or instigated, right? That hot potato inside of me, in my mind, at least, that's what happened. Because that's important. That's an important thing to notice. It's not necessarily that they went, walked up to you and deliberately was like, cook this hot potato. Sometimes they say something and all of a sudden, boom, uncomfortable emotion, right? We're triggered by something. And there's that hot potato. And it's fucking uncomfortable. Uh, that's why somebody invented oven mitts, okay? It's, it's not fun to like grab. I was eating, sidebar. <laughs> <laughs> we had to eat the other night, and I, 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 I live for fajitas. I, I always order vegetarian fajitas with no queso. Uh, if they got a vegan option, I'm down, but vegetarian fajitas with no queso. So it's basically a plate of, like, roasted veggies. It's delicious. And they give you, like, the hot fajitas. And it comes out on a freaking hot plate, okay? Like, it's hot. And they warn you it's hot. And I heard them warn me it's hot. But then I brushed my arm slightly against it as I was reaching for my fork. Total accident. And my hand, my arm burned the rest of the night because I touched the hot plate. It was fucking hot. That's how hot these hot potatoes are, okay? I hope you get the visual reference now. That's how hot these hot potatoes are when you don't know what to do with them. So you see the person in front of you and you're like, wow, I didn't have this hot potato until you said this or did this or insinuated this or whatever. So I don't want to deal with this. Boom. And we throw it at the other person. That's a lack of self-control. You don't, you don't know how to handle the heat. Get out of the kitchen is the saying, right? <laughs> Not really relevant here, but I just had to quote it. So, so, <laughs> so you don't, you throw it to the other person. And what that is, that, what is that reminiscent of? It's you unleashing your anger, you attacking the other person. And what you want in that moment is for them to catch it. That is what you're aiming for. Here, hold this for me. I can't hold it. It's uncomfortable. Do something with it. Fix it. Get it out of me. I don't want it. Okay? And you toss it. And tossing it looks like yelling at someone, attacking someone, shaming someone, name calling someone, threatening someone, whatever. A lack of self-control, complete reaction to a situation in a negative way. And if that person catches it, guess what? You feel validated. You feel like, well, yeah, damn, yeah, that's exactly what you were supposed to do. Hold that for me. And don't you fucking dare think about tossing it back. Now, what happens if you don't catch the hot potato thrown at you? Like me. I'm not catching your hot potato. You know why? Because it's your hot potato. I got my own. I don't want to hold two. I got to carry mine all day. Why do I, I don't want to hold yours, hold your own. Figure that shit out. Be proactive. So if you throw me your hot potato, this is what self-control looks like. You toss it to me, and I let it drop right in front of me. And what happens in that moment that I let it drop because it does not belong to me, is you get angrier. And you attack again. You pick it up. And now you're shoving it in my face. Hold this. I'm not 
holding your potato. It's on you. It came out of you. That's your responsibility, not mine. When somebody lacks self-control, they don't know what fuck to do with their uncomfortable emotions. And they need an outlet. And that outlet, for them, they perceive as being what? It's freeing. It's validating. It hears them. If I catch your potato, you feel heard. If I catch your potato, you feel validated. Not in a good way. This is not positive validation and affirmation and listening ear. This is, I'm going to take my rage out on you because I don't know what to do with it. And you feel powerful in that moment because basically you found a solution to your problem. No, I don't know what the fuck to do with this hot potato. So you know what? I'll just like toss it at this person and hope that they catch it. And if they catch it, I'll feel better. Of course that feels powerful. You found a solution. It's always going to feel powerful when you find a solution. But that's not the right, productive, healthy, mature solution. Why is that not healthy, right, or mature? Because all it does is perpetuate your lack of coping skills and your inability to manage your own emotions. And what else does it perpetuate? Your own anger, your own rage, your own abuse, whatever else is going on inside of you. Now, when you're on the receiving end of that and you view it as personal or you internalize it, then what happens is that person on the receiving end, again, feels validated, but for all the wrong reasons, because you're validating their rage that is coming from a mismanagement of their own emotions. That's not to say rage at times isn't valid. That's to say when it's being mismanaged and mishandled, that does not deserve your validation. That deserves them to pause and look at that and reflect a little and figure out what is the driving force behind it and how can they use it in a more productive way. Do they need to set a boundary? Do they need to validate a belief system that they have? What do they need to do with it? Having self-control starts with one big step in the direction of understanding yourself understanding your beliefs, understanding your behaviors, understanding why you do and say or did and said the things that you did. If you acted mindlessly and then somebody snaps at you or attacks you, you're more than likely in a moment like that going to internalize what they're saying and take it very personally because you're not even clear about what you did or said or why. But if you are behaving from a very mindful and intentional place and it's a positive place, it's a healthy place, it's a supportive place, it's a confident place, then somebody attacking you, A, becomes way more pronounced in front of you, right? It's way more obvious when you're calm and regulated and balanced and in, in a very mindful way to see when somebody is acting mindlessly or someone is reacting to you 
from a triggered state or a dysregulated state. It's very clear. It's kind of like, oh, and the spotlight is on you. Wow, that's so obvious. Whereas when you've got two people screaming at each other, it's very difficult to see who started it, who started it, and who, like, who's more triggered than who, right? Who's in the wrong? Who's in the right? So on and so forth. So you have to understand why you're doing and saying what you're doing and saying, why you believe what you believe. When you understand yourself, then A, you're more confident in your behaviors. You're way more intentional and clear in your responses. And you're not reacting to things because you're clear about where you stand and why. You're clear about where you need a boundary and why. You're clear about what you feel about something and why. When you lack that clarity, you tend to lack intention and mindfulness through your behaviors and your communication styles. So something that helps support me in being able to have self-control is having a routine every day of meditation. Now, you've heard about meditation a million times. I'm sure I've touched on it in past episodes, but I want to break this down for you and explain it the way I explain things. What meditation does is it helps you to start to create a space within yourself to pause. So if you look at meditation, like number one, meditation is not, it's not a space for your mind to shut off. I don't know for the life of me who taught that or who said that or why that was the messaging that a lot of people took away. But that's not what it does. That's not what's supposed to happen either. You don't sit down, close your eyes and start breathing and your brain stops going. It's impossible. Okay. What the act or the practice rather of meditation is, is for you to sit down, close your eyes and sit with your uncomfortable thoughts and feelings. Yeah, I know. That sounds like a fun fucking sport to subscribe to, right? Like, (laughs) but a lot of you go out and play actual sports that are not, you know, conducive to you not ending up injured to some degree, right? Like, for fuck's sake, you could get injured riding a bicycle. You could get injured playing football. But we jump right in because we're like, eh, but it looks like fun. So I, I get when you hear like, oh, I'm supposed to sit in my shit for like, I don't know, five to 15 to 20. Some people do hours at a time. I have. I don't these days, but I can if I want to and I have the time and I might, you know. It doesn't sound like fun. But when you know the value of what it's doing for you and then you start to witness it play out in your life daily then you're like, oh, well, fuck, man, I got to sit down and do this. And and you start to enjoy it because it does get easier as you as you do more of it, just like any sport, just like anything new you learn, right? Like the first time I got on this little scooter here that looks like a dirt bike, okay? So you have a picture in your head that looks like a dirt bike, but it's a scooter. Because apparently the difference, because you know I asked, is that a, a dirt bike is shaped a little bit differently and it goes faster, okay? So the first time I got on this scooter, I was pretty scared. 
because all I kept picturing was like, he's going to go around a turn, kind of like a motorcycle, and I'm picturing myself falling off. And somehow I always get myself to a place in my head where I'm like, okay, I might break a bone. And maybe that's because I have broken bones before and I know I'll survive it. But I come to a very quick acceptance that I might get physically injured and I'm like, I'm at peace with that. But I'm also just terrified of the actual happening of it in my head. So I was terrified. So I was holding on for dear life, holding on for dear life. Like I was literally squeezing him every time he went around a turn, I would like dig my nails into his stomach. I was holding on the back part of the bike, one hand around him, one hand on the back, like ripping him tight squeezing my legs unconsciously up against the bike to the point where like I literally bruised up the whole bottom part of my legs and my ankles and now like a month in I get on I don't even hold on to him I get on and we can go down the bumpiest dirt roads ever and my hands are on top of my thighs and I'm just sitting up straight enjoying the ride because I've been doing it every single day for the last month it got easier. The same goes with meditation. You start and the first day sucks. It sucks. Just go into it knowing it's going to suck. The whole goal is to sit down and try to relax while your brain is going. Picture it, and I say this to everybody who talks to me about meditation because it's the best explanation that I've ever heard from myself (laughs) and anyone's ever heard when they ask me about it. Sit down And when you close your eyes, all the thoughts going through your head, picture it like the credits are scrolling at the end of a movie. I don't know about you. I mean, there have been times where I want to see the credits, but for the life of me, like, for the most part, I know most people don't care and I don't really care. Unless you're really looking for somebody or something, you're really not paying attention. And a lot of them scroll too fast. A lot of them, the font is too small, whatever, you get the point. You're not really paying attention, but they're there. There's words on a screen and is scrolling. Those are the thoughts and, and everything going on in your head. You sit there. Let it scroll by and breathe. Focus on relaxing your body and just breathing. And when random thoughts start to come up that make you even more uncomfortable, let them. You're not trying to fix them. You're not trying to dig into them. You're not trying to analyze them. You're not trying to process them. You're not trying to solve them. Just let them. Let them be, okay? You're not even validating them. You're just giving them a space. That's it. And so if you can do that and sit there and let them scroll by and scroll by and scroll by and go as long as you can, who cares? I don't time myself. There's no need to, okay? You start to build a practice of this. You sit down, you return to that space every single day with yourself, let the credits scroll. When you come out of that, you're going to feel much calmer. And that is not going to matter until you go into your day and you witness the actual effects of meditating. So what's going to happen is you're going to start to realize that the same shit that you used to be highly reactive to suddenly doesn't fucking phase you. Why? Because you've created a safe space within yourself every single day that you can turn to that gives those thoughts a outlet to just scroll on by. They're seen. They're heard. They're not being touched. They're not being fixed. 
So you're just giving them that space that they're wanting to just bloop, go right by. And so in time, what this does is create a pause between you and your reactions to the things that you think about and you hear in your head. That space in your meditation practice is what then translates to your ability to control yourself and regulate yourself out in the wild, in front of other people that you like or dislike. That is what that does. So when you have that and you build that over time, that space becomes bigger. And so before you know it, like me, you can sit there and take the heat from another person who's just pegging you with their fucking hot potatoes. And listen, I'm no doormat. I once was, but I'm no doormat. I have boundaries. People who attack me that way, if you know, you know, get blocked. Okay. I'm no, I'm not tolerating the abuse, but there is no need for me to interact with it. There is no need for me to engage with it. Now, the first time when someone comments something, I discern and I respond. And what I do, and this is your big takeaway with self-control, is you respond, you don't react. And responding sounds like speaking the facts, speaking in the direction that you want the conversation to go in, not reacting to the things that they're quipping off towards you that could or could not be true, could or could not hurt your feelings. Case in point, when someone says to me, uh, the recent ones were like, uh, how dare you offend women by making your podcast title Connect the Dots, bitch. Well, I'm not going to react and say, I'm not offending women by making my title. You see how that's a reaction? That is not how we are responding to people. That is not proactive. That is not mature. That is not going to get you anywhere. How I respond is to the bigger picture of the underlying message. The underlying message is you clearly never listened to my podcast. You know nothing about it. You obviously have an issue with the word bitch. I'm not going to say that to you. That's going to provoke you. If my end goal, big takeaway here, focus on your end goal. If my end goal is to diffuse, if my end goal is to address the real core issue here, and make it clear what the facts are, regardless of what they're going to say, then my goal is to speak in that direction and not address all the nitty-gritty bullshit that they're quipping off and tossing at me. So my goal is to respond to the bigger picture of where I'm headed. Make sense? So what I say is, I don't remember verbatim what I wrote, but it was, You know, my podcast has helped many or countless women, thousands of women, men too, for free. It's unfortunate that you're not open to hearing it because attacking things that you don't understand is is not beneficial. However, I said that, but that was the gist of the message. That is how I respond. Because what I'm saying is, I see where you're coming from with your anger. It's a lack of understanding and a lack of openness. 
I don't need to defend or protect my podcast because I know the truth about my podcast. I get enough feedback from the thousands of people listening about my podcast. I don't need to explain this to someone who is committed to their anger and to committed to misunderstanding me. So with that said, all I'm going to do is address the real core issue here, which is your lack of openness and understanding and maturity in wanting to take a moment to press play and listen, and then you'll understand why the podcast is titled the way it is. So to wrap this up real quick, self-control requires you to understand yourself, understand what is true for you. If somebody's attacking the way I dress and I'm going to internalize it, I can then sit down when I do my own personal development work and look at the fact that like, why do I not feel good or confident in what I'm wearing? I'm not gonna fucking blame them if they don't like it. Okay, too fucking bad they don't like it. But it's a me issue because that's gonna stick with me if I'm gonna internalize everything other people attack me for. Self-control requires you to take such accountability over who you are, how you feel, and how you respond, that you're so committed to respecting yourself, your belief system, and your inner peace that you're not about to cross your own boundary and stoop to the level of the other individual who doesn't want to hold their own hot potato and do the hard work that you're willing to do in your own life. It requires you to be able to see beyond the bullshit, see beyond what the actual words and reaction is, and look beneath it at what are they actually saying or needing here? Well, most of them are needing to be heard because they're not hearing themselves. Most of them need validation because they haven't sat down and got clear and confident about what they think and feel and believe. If you don't feel good about bitch being in the title of a podcast, then don't listen to the podcast. You f- you need to feel validated in that belief system and therefore you need to attack the person who created it. Otherwise, attacking me makes no fucking sense at all. You have free will. Just go elsewhere. Go listen to a podcast that's not using a word bitch. That's fine by me. You're not hurting my feelings. You're only hurting yourself by calling people names. Now, clearly I'm using the most relevant example I have that literally just happened yesterday, but you can take that context and and apply it and associate it and relate it to any other one that you've ever encountered in your life. Self-control shows that you have self-respect and coping tools and emotional intelligence. And that's what we're aiming for around here. And that's all I got for you this week. So next week, I'll be back in Jersey uh, in a new Airbnb. So hopefully uh, it'll be less echoey, but I don't know what I'm in for. So, you know, I, I appreciate you all hanging with me between 
the traveling and the the echoing environments and the noisy environments but honestly if you're all like me you don't really give a flying hoot as long as there's value here so as long as you can hear it and it's rather uninter uninterrupted and it's consistent and it's fun and it's entertaining i think y'all are going to stick around so uh till next week take care